Hi, my name is Rob Thompson. Our reading is from Genesis chapters 25 and 27. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. 
So Jacob went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Then Esau said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise. Flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran. The word of the Lord. Genesis chapter 37. What we're getting is part of this whole narrative that we've been looking at in Genesis. And here's what I want us to, to hold in our minds. The struggle for blessing and birthright. The struggle for blessing and birthright is a recurring theme in Genesis. 
So God is using something that was culturally normative, the ancient Near Eastern firstborn system. Firstborn sons, in particular, got everything. But he's using this system to unfold his plan of chosenness until the son who was promised in Genesis 3, who would crush the serpent's head, defeating evil and unraveling the plan of sin that Satan had. And God does so by upending the assumptions of the culture of the day. He upends the younger sons are the ones who tend to get the birthright, and even amoral, manipulative, and undeserving sons seem to be the ones who get a blessing. God is both using human institutions throughout Genesis and overturning them, revealing that his plan of creation depends on him and is by grace. In Genesis 27, I wanted to have us read all all of it, essentially, because it's a masterpiece in storytelling, and especially of the struggle for blessing and birthright. As we break it apart this morning and try to bring it home to us, this um, very ancient story that still resonates, the three things that I want us to hold on to are the blessing that was given, the blessing that was desired, and the blessing that was needed. The blessing that was given, the blessing that was desired, and the blessing that was actually needed. So first, as we look at the blessing that was given, just as a retelling of Genesis 37, it's a long story, okay? It's a story that's told, it's, it's like a drama in four parts or four scenes, Scene number one is Isaac, who has had two sons, Jacob and Esau, twins. And he's old now. He's so old that he's blind, he can't see. And he calls his son Esau, and he says, I don't know when I'm going to die, so I want to bless you before I die. So bring me that wild game that you always hunt. Cook me up some of that venison brisket that you get for me. And I love the food that you make. That's why you're my favorite son. Bring it, my firstborn son, my my favorite son, and I will bless you. And then he leaves. Rebecca hears this, and it really is just a a fascinating drama, right? Rebecca, the wife, hears this, like listening through the tent. They're just tents, so it's not brick walls, right? So she hears it, and she's like, ah, Esau's going to get blessed, but my favorite son is not Esau. It's Jacob. And so she calls Jacob, and she says, here's the plan. Your dad is blind. He can't see. He's about to bless Esau, who's gone to get some wild game. I know how to make the food that Esau makes. I want you to go out to your, to your sheep and goats, bring some goats. I'm going to smoke them, do the brisket like your dad likes, and then you're going to bring them to your dad, and he'll bless you in place of Esau. And e- Jacob's like, look, we don't look the same. I look like a, like you know, Abercrombie model, and he looks like a hairy monster. We look different. And and, you know, the dad's blind, so it's, it's easy to fool him. She's like, look, trust me on this. I'll take care of it. And in fact, Jacob's a little bit nervous, though. He's like, if I go in to ble- get the blessing and my dad recognizes that I'm trying to steal it, then I will be so deeply shamed. I will be cursed. I will be cast off. Evil will befall me. And his mom says something incredibly chilling. Let the curse fall on me. Only do what I say. So Jacob listens to his mom and goes and gets the goats, and she prepares it, makes the brisket. And then she does something really bizarre. She takes the goat skins with the fur. They've just slaughtered these things and slaps it on his wrists and on the back of his neck. You really do have to wonder, how hairy was this guy? I'm just like petting a dog? (laughs) You know, like 
I mean, like some of us, look, I, So he goes into his father, like, carrying this food with this goat skins on him and fur. And he says, Father, it is me. His dad's like, Who, who's me? Jacob, it, it is me, your son Esau, whom you love, your firstborn son. I've come with the food. Prepare the blessing. And you have to wonder, like, is Esau really, I mean, was Isaac really fooled by this? It'd be like if, if I said, you know, like, come on in here, and I turned off the lights, and I said, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. It is I, Richard Crocker. <laughs> right? Would you wonder if it was me? Would you be like, that's terrible. The tone is not right. The accent is not right. You have to feel for Isaac. I mean, he's confused. <laughs> Poor guy, like, the, eats the food. All he wants is some food. Just give the guy some food. But he's like, come here so I can kiss you, which is part of the ritual of the blessing ceremony. Okay, so what's happening here is not just some, like, hey, I think you're a great guy. There is a ritual that is going on here, a covenantal ritual that is happening. Come here that I may kiss you, part of the covenantal ritual, and so I can smell you, because I know that what my wild game son smells like, and I know what, like, the Abercrombie model smells like. So he brings him there, and he's wearing the clothes of his brother Esau. So he puts on the clothes and the fur and the accent. He's wearing Esau, and Isaac is tricked and blesses his son, and then he leaves. And the next scene, scene four, the closing scene, is Esau arrives, and he's brought the wild game. He's put on the clothes that Jacob was just wearing. He comes to his father, all excited for the blessing. His father says, well, who, who are you? Uh, I'm Esau, your firstborn son. Well, then who did I just bless? Somebody was just here who sort of felt like you, mostly smelled like you, didn't really sound like you, but I blessed him. And this horrible scene happens where we get Isaac's confusion. We get the cries of Esau, bless me, father. Bless me. Do you not have a blessing left for me? And his father says, no, I do not. And this whole scene is this dramatic and sad ending because in it, Isaac is just left confused and disoriented. Esau is wailing and murderous. Jacob has to flee. So he's, all he wants is this blessing, but he has to flee from the face of his father and his family, the mother who loves him. And Rebecca just wanted her favorite son to get blessed. And he has to flee for his life, and she never sees him again in her life. Did anybody get what they want out of this? But this whole story for many of us in this modern world, aside from all the you know, bizarro parts of it, is, is, feels like it could easily be undone, right? And that's, I think, because we struggle with the nature of the blessing that was given back then. The father blessing in the ancient Near East was something that we actually have a hard time grasping hold of what's being implied here. Because we would say this, why not take it back? Why doesn't Isaac just say, get your brother in here? Hey, Jacob, you liar. Why did you lie to me? I take it all back. You're not blessed. You're cursed now. Reverse. Unjinx. Something like that, right? Why doesn't he just undo it? He calls Esau in. He calls Jacob in. He says, hey, nullified, blessed. Why doesn't he just reverse it? That's what we would do. 
Well, here's what's something that's interesting based on the text, because this is what we have to look at. Rebecca and Jacob both think the blessing can be stolen. So we think of blessings as just words you say, you could take them back, whatever, like, I didn't mean it, you know, it was like accidental text. But Rebecca and Jacob feel like it can be stolen. And Isaac never says or indicates it cannot be undone. In other words, our idea, our idea of blessing makes little sense of this story. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann sums up what's going on here and the weightiness of it this way. He says, the narrative presumes that symbolic actions have genuine and abiding power and that spoken words shape human life. Words are not a matter of indifference, which may be attended to or not, as is convenient. The power to shape the future lies in the use of language, gesture, and symbol. Promises and claims matter. What was happening here was a weighty covenantal ceremony that could not in that cultural moment be undone. And the power of the words that were spoken carried on and could not be nullified. And part of this has to do with the layers of blessing and birthright that are both being assumed and recast in Genesis. So on one level is the ancient Near Eastern culture in which Isaac and Abraham and Jacob and all these people are living, not just in Jewish culture, but in that the birthright and the blessing to the firstborn son passing from father patriarch to firstborn son was a powerful human and cultural institution for establishing peace, but also for blessing and carrying on all this inheritance and wealth and status in the community, and sort of the whole family line was waited upon the firstborn son, and that's, a, that's how the whole thing was done back then. So when something was said or done for that firstborn son or the proxy thereof, it was a powerful religious and cultural institution going on here. But on top of that is God who is taking hold of this cultural system and using it for his plan of redemption, recasting it, turning it over and saying, yes, I'm using it, but I'm using it in my way. And it goes back to God's covenantal blessing and promises to and through Abraham and his sons. In Genesis 12, 1 and 2, we studied this, I think, the first, second week of September. In Genesis 12, 1 and 2, we get the beginning of this covenantal blessing and promise where God, out of all humanity, after the flood and the, the renewal of creation, he calls one man, one man out of all people. And he says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Go to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And we talked about this several weeks ago. What God's covenantal blessing and calling Abraham involved was that he would become a great nation. This has to do with words like offspring, seed, okay, going back to Genesis 3. You will have children, and through you there will be a line of promise. And on top of that, not just offspring, I will make you into a nation. I will give you a name, that's status, honor. I will give you a land, inheritance. 
this earth will be yours, and I will bless you. And when we hear the word bless from a God and covenantal perspective, we're hearing a few things that we talked about a, a number of weeks back. Blessing in God's wording involves God's presence with you, God's favor and flourishing in what you were doing, and a relationship with that God. Abram, you and your sons, presence, favor, relationship, blessing. God chose a man and his family to carry out his plan of redemption. The beauty of Genesis and really the whole of the Old Testament leading up to Christ and even in through the New Testament is that the God of the Bible acts in history. And he constantly acts through human lives, even broken and messed up human lives. That covenantal promise goes on to Abraham, to Isaac, not Ishmael, and then to Jacob, not Esau. In, their, in the womb, there's two babies, Esau and Jacob. Esau is the older. A prophecy comes to Rebekah in chapter 25, verse 23, that says the older will serve the younger. Esau will serve Jacob. Jacob is the chosen one, the blessed one. So God's covenantal promises are going through Jacob. Rebecca hears this and holds on to it, except in our episode, it's decades later, and it, she seems to have forgotten all about the covenantal promises. Maybe that's what started her on the road of like, the hairy one I don't really like, the smooth one, he's nice. That one shoots bow and arrows, this one's the quiet one who hangs out in the tents. She favors him, loves him more. And even if it is the covenantal promises that God had through Jacob or for Jacob, in this moment, she is not trusting God's timing or his plan or his ways. As if she had gotten this promise in Genesis 25, 23, the older will serve the younger, Jacob's the chosen one. And then it's decades later, Esau's about to be blessed, and she's like, wait a minute. God said Jacob was the chosen one, but Esau is about to be blessed. I must come in and stop this, or Jacob will not be the chosen one. I've got to fulfill God's plan for him. That's essentially what she's doing here. She does not trust that God's promises are sufficient to overcome what Esau is going to do with Isaac or Isaac is going to do with Esau. She has to take it into her own hands. It's about her control. If she doesn't carry it out, how is God going to fix it? And we constantly do that in our lives. We see what we think God wants to do. We say it's up to us. She puts it in her own hands. And ultimately, she has unbelief here. In these acts, she is not trusting God and his timing and his ways to bring about his purposes through her son, Jacob. And Jacob, for all of these promises that have been made in his father Abraham, grandfather Abraham, and all the covenantal promises, he never mentions, in this whole story, he never mentions the prophecy about him that had probably been told to him by his mom a few times. Nor does he even mention the promises of the covenant to Abram his grandfather. He doesn't say, I want the blessing because the promises of God are for Abraham and I am one of his sons. I love God. I want his blessing. God doesn't seem to be on his mind at all. And then he steals from his brother and lies to his dad. Bruce Waltke sums up Jacob's position here when he says, Jacob has no qualms about the morality of the plan, only its feasibility. Mom, you're crazy. This is immoral. Mom, let's just trust God. God's plan will be worked out. 
Mom, I will not lie to my dad or steal from my brother. Well, he's already done that multiple times, so it's fine. The blessing that was given was a powerful covenantal blessing. And on top of that, it was a father's blessing. And that seems to be what Jacob desires most. What Jacob desires most is his father. In the previous chapter, that, uh, the earlier chapter that Rob read at the beginning, we read as the boys grew up in Genesis 25, 27 to 28, this is the, the blessing that Jacob desired had to do with his dad. He said, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because of the aid of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac loves Esau, the firstborn. That's what everyone in the culture says. He's a man's man. He hunts wild game, smokes it up, love it. Fill my stomach, that's my son. Ah, I want that son. Mom's like, oh, the quiet one who hangs out in the tent and we do crosswords together. Oh, and he's the one of the prophecy. What is Jacob looking for? It's not God's covenantal promises, at least not at this point. He's looking for his father's love and approval. On a very basic level, it's kind of obvious right in here. and We see it play out the rest of his life. And you know what's amazing? He's there in front of his dad. At the end of his dad's life, as far as he knows, his dad is blind, and his dad hugs him, kisses him, and then says these beautiful words. We didn't read all the words, but it's words of blessing. He finally hears it. You are my son whom I love. God's blessing and goodness and favor be upon you. You are the son of chosenness. He hears it from his father, Isaac, for the first time. But who does his dad think he's blessing? Esau. How do you think that felt for Jacob? Maybe at first it felt kind of exhilarating, like, oh, he kissed me, said these words to me. He looked right at me and into my eyes. I mean, he couldn't see me, but he looked right at me, and he blessed me. That's what I wanted. You think he walked away from there? I was like, now I know. Now I know that I matter. Now I know that my, my dad loves me. No. And we know this because he kept looking. He kept looking for the blessing in his life. He kept looking for something to fill the void. When he flees from this place, from the, the, his father's home, and he goes to the land of his ancestors, he sees Rachel. She is beautiful. And that, that's the blessing he's been looking for. He thought it was his dad, but it's really this woman. She's beautiful. He loves her. He gives his life to her. She will satisfy him. And then it's the sons, but one son in particular. Like, he's constantly looking for the next thing to fill him. Jacob's life is a constant struggle against the culture of firstborn sons when you're not a firstborn son, against his family, against Esau, Isaac, and even against God. He's constantly struggling with everyone. He is discontent and desperate for the blessing. He wants what he does not have, and he therefore has no peace. And you know what he does? He proceeds to pass that on to his family that he has himself. He marries two sisters. And what does he do? He loves the younger and does not love the older. Constantly loves and gives his attention to Rachel and Leah, 
who has all these children, keeps trying to have children. Love me, love me too. Look, I'll have another son for you. Rachel's barren, don't you love me? And he won't love her. He chooses favorites. The very thing that he experienced, he carries on. And then he does have sons, 12 of them. He loves none of Leah's sons or these other ones till Rachel has a son, Joseph. I think it's the 10th son, 11th something in there. That's the one I love. I'll choose that one. Give him a special coat. Really amazing coat. You know what's amazing about this as you kind of play on the story of Jacob, which we're going to look at next week, and I think maybe even one more week after that, but maybe just next week. Jacob had experienced the presence of God. He had an experience with God. The very next chapter, chapter 28, if you go home, read it on your own, is the story of Jacob's ladder. So he's out, he has a dream, a vision of God coming down and up to heaven, and God speaks to him and speaks blessing to him directly. He sees the face of God. God says, the covenant that I made with Abraham, your father, your forefather, I am making with you. You are my chosen one. I'm going to work through you. And he, he wakes up from there and he says, I have seen the face of the Lord. I've seen the, and heard the voice of the Lord. God's call and covenant. And he has a conversion experience. And it's after that that he chooses Rachel over Leah, Joseph over the other sons. In chapter 32, after he's fled from Laban with his extended family, before he meets Esau, he has that night of wrestling with the angel of the Lord, wrestles with him. And at the very end, what does he say? What does he say to the angel of the Lord? The very thing he wants from his dad, bless me, bless me too. And the Lord blesses him, renames him, you will be Israel, which is a way of calling him to something new. You are the one that I'm going to use to make a nation. And yet it's, it didn't grab hold of him. He had these experiences with God, but he was not transformed. It continues to be a complete mess. This is both heartbreaking and pretty encouraging. <laughs> what is the blessing that you want, that you're looking for? If you grew up in a family, you may have experienced the favoritism that Jacob did. Who was the chosen one in your family? Who was the one that your parents talked about, encouraged? Who was the one that seemed to always do the right thing? Is it you? One of your siblings? What about your family now if you have kids? Do you have one that you love? Or do you love them equally? The question is, what would your kids say? right? And if we don't get it from our parents, we might look for it somewhere else. I remember in, in high school, there was a youth leader, Michael, who was really cool, really funny, um, but he really didn't give me much attention. He cared about these two other guys who had come to faith. And he kind of poured into them a lot, spent time with them, and you know what I decided was I didn't need him. I knew more of the Bible than he did anyhow, and they needed more help than me. But you know what I, looking back on it, what I did was I just turned my attention to a different youth leader, Bill, who I thought was cooler than Michael anyhow. And I did whatever Bill said, whatever he wanted me to do. You want to jump off the building? I'm with you, Bill. Bless me. There's a woman I know who I talked to about her growing up and how she would look for her dad's attention and approval, basically do anything that he said just to kind of get the check or whatever. And one of the things involved going to basketball games with him, NBA games, 
And, um, and back, this is back years ago, a long time ago, before they had the cannons and like all the dance teams and all. And so you would have, you could get like kids from the, the, the stands that would come out and do something. Like one of them involved at like a break, throwing mini basketballs up into the stands for people. Well, she couldn't throw. Literally could not throw. She was this cute little girl, like 10, 11, with big Coke bottle glasses. And her dad said, oh, I signed you up. And instead of being like, Dad, I don't want to, her dad said to do it, so she did it. She went, and she was terrible. And I think she probably remembers people booing her. Maybe they didn't, but that's how she felt. A year later, they're at a game again. She's like 12 now. Same thing, signed her up. At this point, you would think she'd be like, Dad, I am out. I cannot throw. This is horrible. It's embarrassing. But she went and did it again. Her dad said, do it. So she did. We all want the blessing, the approval and affirmation. We want to know that we are loved, that we matter. And we know that we cannot give the blessing to ourselves. If we do not get the blessing from our parents, you can have lasting bitterness and anger, and with good reason. And you might say, you know what, my parents love my brother more, my sister more, but I don't care, I don't need them. But if you can't truly forgive them and love them for who they are, then you, you still are after the blessing. It still has a control on you, your lack of blessing and approval. And so maybe instead what we do is like you don't get it from your parents, so we turn to our own abilities, ambition, success, career capabilities. Then I'll show them I don't need them to get the blessing. I can get it on my own. But we still want the blessing. And so often many of us will just turn to others, someone, someone to give to us the value, the worth, the love, the approval, the attention that we want. We will go to great lengths to be noticed too. We want somebody else to say, to look into our eyes and say, you are special, you matter, you are worthwhile, you are my favorite. We don't care who it is almost, but usually it's somebody that we value, somebody higher, somebody who's got something that we want. And you know what we'll do? We will play the part. We'll put on the accent, put on the clothes, go and do the things you're supposed to do. Some of you have built entire careers putting on fake clothes, things that don't fit, but you know this is the, this is the job you're supposed to have. It's the status, the, the wealth you're supposed to have. We do it from the boardroom down to the school lunchroom, putting on the clothes, the accent, the voice. Here I am, bless me. But even if you get praised, even if you make it, is it really you that's being blessed? You know, words, the words that we hear, the stories that we tell ourselves have power. Kurt Thompson, um, a psychiatrist who's written on shame, talks about the stories we tell ourselves to make sense of our experience in life. And he tells one story about a client of his in, in his psychology practice who he calls Robert, who was successful and intelligent, but was dealing with severe depression. And he said, eventually they got, after a long time, to recognize that, that he had a kind of warped relationship with his memory of his parents. That his mom was constantly worried and anxious that he was going to fail, so didn't want him to try anything. But his dad forced him to try to do things, to kind of toughen him up. And so he had a story he told himself. The story he told himself went like this. I probably can't do that. Or, 
I will never make dad happy. And Thompson goes on to say he began to construct, even at an early age, a narrative that as an adult would explain what he felt, shame. Shame followed the fact, as he understood it, that he was inadequate. The words that he told himself that he heard or didn't hear from his parents, the words that are said to us, words have power, especially uh, blessings and, and conf- affirmation words that are said to us, or criticisms and condemnations. They have a power. Words operate in us like a power that can hurt us or destroy us or give us assurance, hope. Even offhanded comments keep working in us. They do something inside of us. They shape us. Tim Keller, preaching on this passage, summed up this idea this way, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can make or break my very soul. Like Jacob, we want the blessing, but the blessing we often desire is probably not the blessing we need. What is the blessing we need? It's God's blessing, obviously. It's always the answer here, but it is true. It is God's blessing that we are really after. You know what's great about the, the gospel is that it is the culmination of the entire story, you know, bringing everything to bear in Jesus Christ. Do you know who Jesus is? He is the firstborn son of God Almighty. He is the true firstborn son. But what does he do at Christmas? He puts on the clothing of humanity. He puts on our clothes, if you would. And what does he do on the cross? He wears our sin. And Christ, the true firstborn son, is cursed, not blessed, so that we who deserve to be cursed might be blessed. Paul sums it up in Galatians when he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham, going back to Genesis 12, might come to us. And in Galatians 3, 26 and 29, it goes on to say that everyone who is in Christ is a son of God. And that, that term son is important, kind of like bride of Christ is important. It's important because it's carrying on all that ancient Near Eastern understanding of inheritance, birthright, blessing that comes to you, whether you're male or female. All of that is yours in Christ like it is for Christ. It is yours. You and I now, regardless of whether you're Jewish or not, are sons of Abraham, heirs of the promise. The promise is that God was going to redeem creation. And as Hebrews 12, 23 says, or hints at, we are all firstborn sons, not just sons. Like, you're the favorite son of God. God looks at you individually and says, you are my favorite. And he looks at you and says, you are my favorite. He looks right into you and says, you matter. I love you. You are worth it. I love you. You are worth it. What's beautiful about this whole story is that God still blesses Jacob. In spite of his manipulation and lies and self-absorption, and most of his life, the, the, the trouble is most of his life he fails to realize that God is with him and blessing him. God is constantly saying to him, Jacob, the blessing you need, Jacob, the blessing you are after is already yours. And the blessing you and I need 
the one we are after and desire, is ours in Christ Jesus. The question of this narrative is, will we rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross and the grace of God's blessing that's already there for us? Not bitter because of what you didn't get in the past, not self-absorbed in striving to get something on your own, not constantly dressing up as someone else like we always do, but at peace because the one who matters most, the true Father, has already loved and accepted you. How do I do this? It's a battle to go again and again and again to God's Word, His promises to you and me in Christ Jesus, to find my identity, my worth, the love and approval I'm looking for in what God has already said and done for me in Christ Jesus. Richard Lovelace, to end, sums it this way. It is often said that we must love ourselves before we can be set free to love others. But no realistic human beings find it easy to love or forgive themselves. And hence, their self-acceptance must be grounded in their awareness that God accepts them in Christ. Look, there is much evidence in our experience against the idea that we are children of God. There's a lot of evidence in our lives that we're not children of God, but the faith that surmounts the evidence of our manipulation, our self-absorption, our bitterness, our fears, the faith that surmounts the evidence and is able to warm itself by the fire of God's love instead of having to steal love and self-acceptance from our brother, from our dad, what work, is actually the root of holiness, of maturity, of peace. Let's pray. God Almighty, you are a God of blessing. You are generous. There is enough of your blessing and presence to go around. In fact, it is offered to every one of us in Christ Jesus. Anyone is in Christ. He or she is a new creation. And the blessings of God the Father come into us. When you see us, you see your Son. Oh God, may we live with that, not crying out like Esau, bless me also, not striving and manipulating like Jacob, but warming ourselves by the fire of your love for us. We need you, Lord. That's the blessing that we need. Amen.